0: College definitely is what kind of pushed me toward, especially college at Colorado State, particularly, because they had a ranch horse team. So I got to meet some really neat people in the area and learn a lot about showing Western and how completely different it was, but also that there are so many similar undertones. So that's kind of where I got my start. You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: Hey everyone, Nicole here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to share some exciting news with you all. As you listen to this week's episode, you might notice a new voice on our show. Devin Conley recently joined our team as our new digital content producer and will be taking on co-hosting duties with me going forward. You can learn more about Devin by listening to the podcast episode we did with her late last year. Now on to this week's episode.
2: In this episode, we sit down to talk to Kim Rounds. Kim is a non-pro competitor in the NRCHA, the Beef Program, and Social Media Manager at Five Rivers Cattle Feeding, and has owned and operated an equine sales business. Kim was also featured in Cowgirl Magazine's 30 Under 30 and is here to talk about life as a non-pro competitor and what it's like to switch disciplines. This episode is brought to you by Purina. All right, welcome back to the Ride Podcast podcast. I'm Devin, I'm here with Nicole, and our guest today is Kim Rounds. Kim is a National Reined Cow horse competitor. She's also the Specialty Beef Program Manager, Social Media Manager for Five Rivers Cattle Feeding out here in Northern Colorado. So we're really excited to sit down with Kim and welcome her onto the podcast. Welcome, Kim. So uh, if you can just start by telling us a little bit about your, your background, introduce yourself, how'd you get into the horse industry, just kind of give us a little glimpse into who you are.
0: All right. Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, obviously super excited to be here um, again with the Equine Network. Um, so I got started. I was really fortunate. I grew up um, on a cow-calf stalker background or cattle operation in Northern California. Um, and I had a horse-crazy mom Uh, And she definitely passed the gene down to me. It might be hereditary, might have been imposed, I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But she gave me riding lessons when I was five. That was what I got for my fifth birthday. I'm still sure that they have no idea what they were getting themselves into (laughs) when they did that. Um, So I actually showed pretty competitively in show jumpers growing up. And then I rode horses at the ranch and kind of helped gather and sort. And I helped at brandings and stuff. Um, but that was that was my horse experience growing up. It was pretty much all English, all show jumping. Um, and I was really heavily involved in the cattle industry. That is what took me to school. Um, I majored in animal and equine science at Colorado State. Um, and I was pretty involved in a lot of clubs and teams there. And that was where I really solidified that I knew I wanted to work in the beef industry and I wanted to have horses. So I've kind of spent the last, um, you know, decade or so, kind of balancing those two things as I work in the beef industry and then kind of get to show horses for fun and pocket a little bit of money here and there when I can, but mainly it's for fun.
1: (laughs) I always love talking to people who come from an English background and then transition over to a Western background, because I think there's a lot that you learn as an English rider, I've, I have some English background more in the quarter horse stuff. So not like the true show jumping or anything like that, but I feel like I took away so much of that, like equitation and just like being able to ride. And, and, um, do you think that's kind of helped you transition over to more of the Western events and the cow horse and, and even in your, um, you know, daily life, working on a ranch, working with cattle, that kind of stuff.
0: English definitely taught me to like smile and get through it like no matter how bad it is and like you can apply that anywhere in life you want to put that um obviously showing equitation is when things are coming unglued you just keep smiling and keep your heels down and on you go um so i definitely ha- took that home for sure um and just kind of learning how to be a competitor like the mental mind games of time management and competing And, you know, as a teenage girl going through puberty and also showing A-level show jumpers, I mean, you learn a lot about checking in with yourself, checking in with your emotions and kicking yourself when you let them get away from you. So um, definitely took home probably two big takeaways there. As far as riding goes, actually, Devin will probably relate to this. I fractured my back in 2016 or 17, and I kind of lost all my muscle structure, I turned into like a limp noodle. And honestly, and a kind of blessing in disguise, it completely let me retrain my body how to ride again. Because um, I obviously rode very differently, show jumpers to cow horse and kind of learning how to sit a stop. And those are two completely different mechanics. And so kind of losing all my muscle tone, <laughs> long term kind of helped because I got to kind of get rid of all that old muscle memory that my body said, you know, hold on with your thighs here. And really it's, you know, open and sit down. So, um, kind of a, a curse and a blessing there, but long-term I think definitely helped my riding cause I kind of got to forget all the old habits.
2: Yeah, I can definitely, unfortunately empathize with that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible experience. It's hard to come back from, um, yeah, losing the muscle tone. That's, that's really interesting. I like the way you put that, that it was, uh, a, 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 a chance. For you to relearn. That's a good way to look at it. So, around that time, is that when you started switching into the cow horse world, or what drew you uh, away from your background into the events that you compete in today in the the Rain Cow Horse?
0: Yeah. So, at that time, I had just bought a horse that I was going to start kind of doing the cow horse. Mainly, we were going to ranch ride on her. So, that was what I kind of came back to. But my initial kind of entrance into the western performance world was at colorado state i joined the ranch horse team there and that was where i was first really exposed to even the concept of like working cow horse and ranch horses as competition um and i loved it i didn't have a great horse (laughs) um but i had a lot of really great people kind of teaching me and and showing me what was good what was bad um and i really got into it so once i graduated I kept kind of gravitating back to that because one is much more economic as, a, as a recent post-grad. Um, it was definitely a lot more achievable funds wise to keep showing cow horse or keep leaning into kind of the AQHA and the ranch horse events. Um, they're definitely more affordable and I'd kind of quit riding English. I still hopped on, you know, a horse if I had a chance for sure, but College definitely is what kind of pushed me toward, especially college at Colorado State particularly, because they had a ranch horse team. So I got to meet some really neat people in the area and learn a lot about showing Western and how completely different it was, but also that there are so many similar undertones. So that's kind of where I got my start. And then after I graduated, I went to the Snafflebit Futurity in 2015, and that was the first major I'd ever been to and I watched Erin Tormino get reserve, And I was like, this is cool. Girls going this fast down the fence with cows on really nice horses. Like, I'm in. I'm sold. And I knew that was what I wanted to do.
1: I can relate to that. I okay. fangirl over Aaron Tormino. And I've had her on the podcast. And I told her. I was like, I just want you to know that I've talked to, like, People who are the best of their industry and in every discipline and in every walk of life, and I'm like, and I have never fangirled until I met you (laughs) because she is, she's so cool, and like I related with her because she came from the all around background and transitioned to the cow horse, and that's what I did. I was showing cow horse at the time when I talked to her. Now I have a little Rainer, so I'm kind of transitioning again because having access to cattle is a little difficult where I live. Um, but uh, going back a little bit, let's talk about CSU's ranch horse team because I don't think that people outside of Colorado might realize how important it is to the equine industry, especially in Colorado. I know so many people who have graduated from this program and so many people who have kind of like you transitioned from one event into a completely different one with the help of CSU. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what it is and, and you know, how important it is to be a part of something like that? Yeah.
0: So CSU's ranch horse
1: team is a club. So while we will go and compete
0: Um, you know, with other schools, it's not like an NCAA thing. Um, And you can bring whatever horse you have. I didn't have a horse my freshman year. Um, I was a member that was afoot. And so I helped learn how to put on shows. Um, I helped learn about the rule books. I scribed for some judges. And I just couldn't wait to get a horse and to start doing it. And it's such a great foundation because you have you know, normally about six events, depending on the event that you're at, but you have to do the ranch rail, um, and the ranch trail, the reining cow horse herd, and then halter. So you have to cover a lot of topics, but at the same time, if you weren't ready to jump in and go down the fence, if you weren't ready with your horse to go run down and do a sliding stop, there's still a place for you there. And that's what I love about those events so much is that it's such a great place to get your feet wet because you don't have to have, you know, a $75,000 Rainer or a $50,000 cow horse to go be competitive. If you have a horse that is safe and sane and that you're working to make broke, you're going to have at least fun and you might win some money here and there because it's going to be, you know, broke, sane horse that you can pilot around some stuff that's kind of difficult and that's definitely challenging. And That's why it's all around type work is that it takes a horse that has so many different facets to it. My most competitive cow horses could barely get through the trail. And there are people who have horses that might not have held up against mine in the cow horse, but they didn't sure kick my ass in the trail. And, uh, and that was where I got started. And at the time, Bobby Walton, um, was coaching that team and it's kind of gone through some changes, but it's definitely a huge part of CSU because you don't have to have a team You know, you practice once a week, sometimes on weekends, and it's kind of a meet you where you are sort of club. And I love that about it. And as they host shows, you get to be exposed to some really great professionals in the area who are interested and who are um, compassionate, basically, to kind of the college kids dilemma of maybe not having a great horse or a ton of time or a ton of money, but they know how to work with you and they'll definitely get you a good start in whatever direction you want to go from there.
2: I think that message is super important and I appreciate you speaking to that. Um, And great question, Nicole. I just think folks need to hear that there's a place for them. Like no matter where you're at, what kind of horse you have, there's a place for you. And you don't have to, like you said, have a $75,000 horse to get started. Um, So I appreciate you saying that. So you didn't have a horse your freshman year. Um, Can you talk a little bit about then the first horse that you got and started competing on which one has been most impactful to you? Are they the same horse? I I know Stevie's important to you. So I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your horses and how you got going with your first one.
0: So my first horse was actually, I bought her from the Feather River College um, sale in Northern California. And they do something very similar to Colorado State where their students train a horse all year and then they have a horse sale at the end. And I had a friend whose dad was a professor there and I said, I've got, I think it was like $4,000. I was like, I've got $4,000. Can you find me something there? And he bought this little horse that I called Savvy. Her name was Uno Frosty Baby. Um, And she was fun because, you know, she wasn't a super expensive horse. She was just kind of the horse that I had. And I learned so much about how to mess one up, how to fix it once you've messed it up. Um, And so I had her my first year. And then, I sold her and I bought a horse named Chiquita um, Jones Sport out of the CSU sale that my friend Ian trained and I showed her for the remainder of my college career and then I sold her and bought Stevie. Um, Stevie I actually just sold about two weeks ago Um, so that was definitely hard. I went full crazy horse girl over selling her. There were a lot of tears. I think I cried over her more than any breakup in my life. (laughs) Um, But she was definitely the most impactful. I bought her in 2017. I ranch rode on her a little bit. I did some AQHA events on her. And she was the first horse that I climbed on um, after I broke my back. And my first show back, I won a championship on her. So she was just, she was my girl. And she was so quirky and so tough. And there were days that I was out there beating my head against a wall um, But she taught me so much about body awareness, about mental and emotional awareness when I'm on my horse. She taught me how to win. She taught me how to lose. <laughs> um, she taught me how to go down the fence. She taught me how to work out of the herd. She taught me what raining really felt like. And I don't know that I'll ever have a horse like her. I mean, hopefully I do. I'm young enough that hopefully I have another one, but. I don't know if there's another horse that will take me as far forward in leaps and bounds as she did. Um, In 2019, she qualified me for my first NRCHA world show. We were third in the world our first time there. We went back after going down the fence for less than a year and she got me a fourth in the world going down the fence there. And she's taken me back every year since Um, she's just super special. And I I think the home that she's in now is kind of in the same place I was a few years ago. They, kind of want to get into the cow horse. They want something that's talented, but, you know, can't afford that $50,000, $70,000 horse. So they need a horse that's got maybe some quirks and some personality, but just talent to spare. And that's, that's where she's at now, but she's definitely, she's my heart horse. As of right now, she's definitely my heart horse.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your transition from your ranch horse um, college experience into the AJ because you've been, you know, heading in that direction for a little time now can you talk about the transition from the cow horse or from the ranch horse into the cow horse and you know doing things like going down the fence the herd work you know all of that stuff I realize that you have a little bit of that background from the ranch horse but I think it's you know the horses are so specialized in that particular event that it's definitely like you said you know, your horse might be really good at the trail, but they might not be as great at the cow horse and, you know, whatever. And, and that's okay. But in the, in the cow horse, you know, those horses are a little more specialized in those events.
0: Yeah. So after I sold kind of my last true ranch all around horse, um, I was looking, I knew for a horse that I could ranch ride and cow horse on. I knew that those were my goals as looking for something that had a little bit more, power. I was kind of going from an F one fifty to more of like a sports car. Um, if you kinda of want to think about it that way, you've got kind of a good all-around vehicle. You're not gonna win any foot races. Um, so I was kind of knew I was looking for something with a little bit more power. And I shopped for a little while before I found Stevie. And I was with my friend Logan at the time and we were ranch riding. Um and he helped me kind of find and buy her and that was kind of With a trainer, kind of not. Then I was riding with Logan, and we both kind of had different goals. So I took Stevie up to my friends, John and Kennedy Snyder, and they had taken over the um, CSU Ranch Horse team and also the CSU Colt starting program. Um, John Snyder was the instructor there my senior year at Colorado State. So I knew them, I trusted them, and actually my goal going to them was to sell Stevie and they rode her around a little bit and said, there's a very, very talented horse in here. Let's kind of get you started really getting comfortable in the cow horse. And so we spent a lot of time working on reining and what reining truly felt like. Um, a little bit different than the ranch reining that I'd been doing, which was, you know, okay. And just completing it is good enough. Now we kind of have to turn up the notch. We have to turn a little faster. We have to stop a little farther. We've got to run a little harder. Um, We need a little bit more difference in speed in our circles. And so it's just taking, just executing the pattern to dialing it up and putting some polish and putting some, what we call earning points out of it. You know, you walk in that pen with a 70 and you got to do everything you can to earn more points. And so I started learning what that felt like. Um, And then what it really felt like to be on a horse that knew what they were doing on a cow, instead of just following one back and forth. I had to really step up there and make it move and, and again, start earning some points and start earning some credit on that cow instead of just stopping it from running. I need to step up and control it and make it go left and right in the boxing. And then as we went forward, you know, learning how to set one up and go down the fence, um, how to make that first turn, how to set up your second turn for a circle. And so it was, it was pretty gradual, really. Um, but once I got Stevie everything definitely dialed up a few notches because I had a horse that had so much more talent and so much more ability that it was more than just checking the boxes of doing the maneuvers on the scorecard. It was doing them with a little bit of a flair and of style and speed and power.
2: That's a lot of technical changes to be making when you're switching over. And I, I like uh, how you said it was kind of a gradual process and then you got the right horse and were able to start adding. Um, so you worked with a few different trainers Is there something that sticks out in your mind as being like really impactful that a trainer said to you or taught you about either competition or getting like gelled up with a new horse like Stevie, Uh, just something you took away from one or more of those trainers that really stuck with you that you think people could benefit from hearing?
0: Yeah, I kind of thought about this one and I didn't have any big like nuggets of wisdom. Um, I will say John and Kennedy believed in me and my horse more than I knew until we kind of got to the world show. Um, I've never been on the best mounted horse. I've never been on the best bread, the most expensive horse in the show pen. And they definitely kind of drilled into me that you can get a lot done with hard work and a little bit of natural ability and kind of keeping your head on straight. So I don't know that there is a massive you know, nugget of wisdom in there, but their belief in me and obviously the proof is in the pudding. We had two back-to-back top five world show finishes. And you know, I won a few thousand dollars on that horse. Um, just the belief and the understanding that you don't have to have the most expensive horse in the pen. You don't have to have the most talented horse in the pen. You don't have to haul to the most shows to be successful. Um, pretty much all of that gets done for free at home with some sweat. Um, and then my very first trainer Sarah Ballou, um, I learned from her doing show jumpers growing up. She taught me so much about horsemanship and caring for horses. I had two show jumpers that wouldn't pass a vet check and I kept them healthy and competitive for almost 10 years um, because she taught me so much about equine care. And again, I, I did not have the nicest horses at those big A circuit shows. I had the horses I could afford and I had to take care of the horses that I could afford and that meant being a good horseman, knowing what classes, knowing how to take care of their legs, knowing how to keep them in good condition, knowing about my equipment and what I did and didn't need. Um, the things that she knew about her horses just blew my mind um, because she was kind of in the same boat. She definitely didn't have the most expensive horse in the Grand Prix, but she she knew how to how to get by with what she had Um, and that was really, really impactful on me knowing that I don't have to go out and spend more money than anybody. Um, I just have to be willing to work pretty hard and put in the time.
2: The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science and their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com.
1: I think what you had just said, it's the reason why I got so interested in the cow horse to begin with, because I came from a world where You had very expensive saddles, very expensive show outfits. You were putting your face in magazines, and you know there was a lot of money going into it, and that's fine. And I'm not, I'm not dogging on any of that because I, you know, I enjoyed my time in that arena. But the thing that really caught my eye in the cow horse is that you can spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars on a horse and come in dead last because. At the end of the day, you have to be able to, you know, maneuver that horse in some really different situations. You don't get to practice the pattern ahead of time when you're working a cow because you don't know what the heck they're going to come out and do. They could be, you know, running out of that chute into the arena and you're sitting here going, oh, my gosh, and you have to evaluate. Where your horse is to that cow to make sure that you're not getting into their personal space too much. And then, you know, you have the cows that are really slow and you have to really get up in their face to get them moving. And, you know, you have so many elements that, you know, really kind of levels out the crowd. Now, obviously, you have to have a horse that has some cow in them, can stop, can turn, can be agile. You know, you're not going to be able to take a 17 hand warm blood and go down the fence like you will with a 14 hand, you know, metallic cat or something. Um, But I think that's, that's one of the reasons that I was so attracted to that discipline. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. It was just it was cool to know that like, Hey, I can, I can beat a $150,000 horse because I had a better cow or I had a better run or I was able to maneuver my horse better or whatever.
0: Absolutely. And that is to me what always, <clears throat> that's what always drew me to the cow horse too, was that the cow is a great equalizer and they say that a lot and that is no joke because I've watched people who are leading going into the finals, draw 210 cow. And that's what you got. Um, and I've watched people who were sitting, you know, maybe top 10 draw 220 cow and made it to 225 cow. And that's what's so fun about it is it's not over till you go down the fence. Um, and I can tell you right now, keeping my head straight and marking 140s, Has got me in the finals several times. Um, I didn't go out there and smoke a 146 down the fence. I rarely mark above 142 in the raining, but being consistent and keeping my head on the street has got me in the finals and has ultimately earned me a lot of money, (laughs) Um, and has has earned me some titles and some really high placings. Because you know, if you want, if you go in there wanting to mark a 140 something you can't always make it happen. You can keep your head on and get your writing done. Right. And you can work the cow that you've been given and that's going to pay a lot of times. Um, obviously as you get up into the open, you start kind of spreading those out, but especially in the non-pro, um, you do things correctly with a little bit of flair and you're going to be just fine. And I do love that about the cow horse for sure.
2: Yeah. Consistency is key. I appreciate you saying that. Like it's, it's, so important. I come from a rodeo background, and so you know, you're saying the cow is the great equalizer in this event, and it just reminds me of like roughstock. You know, your draw is what you get, and you got to work with what you got. So I think that's applicable to a lot of different events. That's cool. Um, so your favorite show? Just just tell us about your favorite show. Either one that you've been at, one that you maybe want to go to, um, something that people shouldn't be missing if they're on the the show road where where's your favorite place to go?
0: My favorite is definitely a celebration of champions in Fort worth in February. Um, World's greatest horseman is happening at the same time. And while the world's greatest finals are fun and you should absolutely get tickets and you should absolutely go the prelims on Thursday night of the steer stopping and the fence work are so fun. The John Justin arena is packed standing room only It is so loud. It is so rowdy. And it is a horse show smart crowd. So like we know when it's good and we know when it's bad. And it's so fun. And the finals can't be beat. I have driven from Colorado down to Texas in one night just to watch the finals. Um, But the prelims are a blast. So if you have a chance to go to the Celebration of Champions, and especially the World's Greatest Horsemen, absolutely go. It's such a fun show because it's kind of just year-end titles. Um, so there's not as much pressure on the open guys, the snaffle bit finals are a blast, but the whole horse show is just wound so tight. Cause you're just trying to keep these three-year-olds together and get them through three events and hopefully make the finals. So the snaffle bit is awesome. It's definitely got a very different vibe. Um, the, the celebration of champions is super fun and then completely switching venues and genres spruce meadows um, in calgary alberta is the best horse show venue i've ever been to it is built for horsemen by horsemen and everything about it is top tier top notch you have security badges to get into the stalls the warm-up arenas are beautiful the show arenas are incredible in canada horse showing is a sport like show jumping is a sport so you have spectators like i've never seen before so If cow horse is not your cup of tea, I definitely recommend a trip to Calgary and you can go watch the stampede. They normally happen around the same time, but Spruce Meadows, uh, in Calgary is also the, one of the best events I've ever been to.
1: I love it. Um, yeah, those events that you listed are hands down some of my favorite to watch and the world's greatest, I think is just so different from anything else that we see that it's just really cool and you see these really cool finished horses and you know like watching the three-year olds is fun but sometimes it's just really fun to watch a horse that knows its job and like that's kind of what the world's greatest is same for the run for a million you know they added the cow horse stuff that was super cool to see live um I'm excited to see that progress and then yeah no I've I've never been to Calgary I it's gonna be on my bucket list now though because I need to see this fairground. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Calgary is, is incredible. Um, they're all grass fields. Um, and the big masters arena has a grass warm up arena, but it's just, it's, it's so cool. If you are a horse person, you would go there and love it. Um, and the world's greatest is so cool. I love, love that our association is making a big payout platform for finished horses. Cause like you said, the three-year-olds are fun. The derbies are great. I'm thinking we're gonna start getting to a big two rain event, but for people to invest money in horses that are six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fourteen years old to go win as much money as Mitch just did is just so awesome for the longevity of our horses and our sport. Um, you're seeing horses that like guys are pulling out from their youth kids to go to world's greatest. You're seeing, um, horses that maybe haven't had a spectacular career since Snaffle bit, but they're really broke and they're coming back for world's greatest. And I just, I love that for our industry. Um, and if you haven't watched the video of call me Mitch going down the fence, watch it cry. I cried. Everybody cried. Philip's dad, wrong Rawls, cried. Everybody cried. So go watch it. Cause that's, that's what it's about. I mean, that horse is, I think he's 12 or 13. I think he's a 2010 or 2011 model. And still just at the top of his game and knows his job better than he ever has. And it's just incredible to watch. And I love that for our industry.
1: I keep hoping that we'll do more of that, whether it's cow horse or raining or, or you know, special events like the run for a million, whatever, because yeah, I, the three-year-olds are, are great. I love watching a good three-year-old it takes a lot to have a good three-year-old and it's a lot of horse and it's a special horse. And I have this conversation with Brad Barkemeyer all the time because he's just like, I have to have a really, really special horse to go to the fraternity, you know? And that's why he loves the Derby so much is because he can take a horse that maybe wasn't ready as a three-year-old, but you know, by four-year-old year, he's done growing, he's muscled up, he's, you know, starting to really figure out his job. And he's like, I, I like that stuff, you know? And I can relate to that. You know, I have a three-year-old right now. I have no idea if she'll be a fraternity horse. It's a lot. It's a lot for these horses. And so I love seeing events where, um, you know, you're seeing those aged horses come back and and it really shows their longevity. It shows these trainers can keep these horses, you know, excited about their job, not anticipating, not grumpy, not hating the show pen, you know, all these things that. I, you know, we hope that our horses enjoy what they're doing, but you know, these guys are proving it. And I hope it inspires more events like that because it it always makes me so sad when a horse finishes, you know, their derby years and and whatever, or bridal years and and there's no more money to be won. And then it's just like, okay, well, what do I do? Oh, I got to sell him. Now I got to go get another three-year-old or whatever.
0: I think that's kind of a tough position our industry put ourselves in because these horses do mature so easy or so early. These horses do mature so early and they're so competitive at such a young age. Um, And that's where we want to put the money because that's where it pays off first. That's the shortest time that we've owned them, the shortest time we've had them in training them. And that is where that pays off. But if we want to be responsible horse owners, if we want to be responsible horsemen, having that longevity is key. And, you know, call Me Mitch is a great example. And I just love using him because he's been the bridesmaid so many times and he finally won, um, that his babies just increased so much in value because he won something later in life. And I think that we become victim of that fast turnover cycle so much of he won the faturity and now we're going to stand him, and now we've got his babies and his babies weren't great. And now we've forgotten about him and all of his babies, and I think it's just such a great way to keep these horses relevant. I did the math on world's greatest because I'm kind of a data stats and numbers nerd. I think about one third of the horses entered in the 70 or 80 horses in world's greatest were standing stallions. They are either standing to the public currently where they were ranch studs that people owned and, you know, retained babies on and kept for the ranch. And that's awesome. I mean, where else, Maybe some of the, you know, like world type events for raining and cutting. Where else are you gonna see horses that have offspring on the grounds and are competing, you know, in the same venue as them? That's incredibly rare. I think Mitch had eight babies entered between the futurity, the derby, and the world show classes. And that's that's awesome for our industry. And we're keeping that relevance and we're hopefully losing a little bit of that three to six year vicious cycle turnover of standing horses and forgetting them. You know, we're, we're adding longevity. We're keeping them relevant. We're making their babies more valuable. And ultimately that's our goal is to add value to these horses and have a long lifespan for them.
2: Yeah, I agree completely with everything you guys are saying. Um, Just the opportunity to let those older horses come back and make it worth their while and worth the trainer's while, especially with so many other disciplines, you know, horses 14, 15 are still competing and and doing amazing. It's good to see it in this industry too. Uh, on the topic of, you know, standing at stud and horse sales and things of that nature, uh, Kim, you have an equine sales business. Right, and you, you do so much. Like this, you, you're so busy. I don't know how you manage it all. Um, but you, you've worked in equine sales and marketing, and obviously on the cattle side as well. But within the horse world, tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get into that? Is that something that you're still enthusiastic about, or something that you don't do as much anymore?
0: So we don't do as much of that anymore, mainly because the horse market kind of exploded and I never really got back into it. Um, And that was, it was really fun, but it was really tough to manage as a non-pro because as a non-pro, I can't accept any money for really like handling horses, like riding, giving lessons, anything like that. So I, I, you know, took pictures of horses. I put together videos of horses and I managed their ads. And at the same time, my friend Logan was either had those horses in training and was riding them or was riding them in the videos. And it was really fun. Um, like I said, we aren't doing as much of it, but I learned so much about business. Um, good and bad. <laughs> um, there are good people that I did business with who were amazing, who brought me you know, more business down the road. Cause that has kind of morphed into more like social media management for people. I do more of that than I do like equine sales and ad management for people um i learned so much about that about photography and i'm so grateful for the people who are like yeah these two 20 year olds could you know manage and sell my horse for me so and i think we did right by every customer that we had but i'm so grateful for the people who had faith in me and i think that was just such a good vote of confidence for me as i was kind of trying to enter into this performance horse world um and our businesses have both kind of grown apart. Logan's kind of riding and chewing full time. And I have a full-time job that consumes a lot more of my time than it used to. And so we've kind of, I guess, extricated ourselves from the business we used to have, but at the time it served such an awesome purpose and it made a lot of connections and taught me a lot about advertising, about managing sales, about overseeing money, about contracts. Um, about making sure that you take that deposit about making sure that the contract is signed. Um, Definitely learned a lot about business and especially horse business doing that.
1: So this is kind of a great little transition segue. Um, You're obviously crazy busy in your professional life with the cattle. And, and then when you were doing the marketing and, and, you know, helping in that sales area, how do you manage to do all the things while competing in the performance horse industry? Cause it, it takes a lot of, I mean, obviously you're putting full-time work, you know, every week you're putting in those hours, but then you also have to find time to go to the barn, you know, keep riding your horse, keeping them fit, working, you know, on different elements to get ready for a horse show, traveling to horse shows. I mean, how do you juggle all of the things? So I
0: am very fortunate that I can keep my horses in full-time training that takes a massive amount of stress off my hands. I know not everyone is in that position financially. I'm really fortunate that I am. So John and Kennedy are riding my horses, you know, five-ish days a week. And then I'm getting up there as much as I can, which is normally about four or five. So they're getting ridden twice a day. So they're very, very fit. (laughs) Um, but it's definitely giving up a lot of stuff that I want to do and having very understanding friends. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of reaching a crossroads where I'm maybe going to start kind of dialing back. I just sold Stevie. I have a really great derby horse. He's four. Um, and I'm not sure. I think the goal is that I start showing him here soon. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. So I'm kind of on a little bit of a breather right now. I say that it's been like three weeks since we got back from the world show. So that's my idea of a breather. Um, um, But it's definitely time management and it's definitely knowing what is important, what needs to be done today, what can be done tomorrow. And a lot of early mornings and late nights, I'm very fortunate that the people I work for at Five Rivers are supportive of me and of the things that I'm passionate about. So they are awesome about letting me work a weekend to trade for two days off to go to a horse show. Um, I'll come in and drive a feed truck or, you know, work on something or go help sort cattle. And then I'll take, you know, two days off to go to a show, but 10 days of vacation go by very quickly when you're showing horses. Cause a lot of these local shows start on a Wednesday and then on a Sunday. And normally two of those days during the week I'm expected to show plus the weekend. Um, so it's definitely a lot of sacrifice. Like I, I will not sugarcoat it. It is not easy. It is getting up early to go to the gym, going to work all day, coming home, grabbing a snack, going to the barn, um, getting back at you know 10 or 11 at night sometimes because my barn is about a 45 minute drive from my house. So it's tough, um, but it's definitely very rewarding there. I don't know if there's anything else I'd want to be doing. I can't imagine pouring as much of myself into something else. Um, but you definitely kind of learn who your supportive friends are, um, the people who understand your schedule and, you know, see you when you can and the people who kind of take offense to you having drive and passion. So I definitely have, have surrounded by maybe fewer, but very good friends now. Um, but yeah, a lot of caffeine, uh, a lot of budgeting, a lot of, uh, finding ways to make side money or spend as little money as possible so I can afford to go to shows because as much as the cow horse is more affordable than show jumping, it's definitely not um, not something for everybody financially. But um, I'm also very fortunate. I have parents who are supportive. And so when things get tight or I have a derby horse, you know, they're they're willing to step up and help me out. And uh, I won't, I won't pretend to anybody that I hadn't been in that boat where my parents have stepped up and helped me out because that would be unfair to people who are trying to do it on their own and maybe not, not always making it work, but i um, very fortunate with the people that I'm surrounded with who kind of helped me make this possible. It's a lot of me doing the legwork, but a lot of support from the people around me for sure.
2: Well, thanks for keeping it real with our listeners. I think that's going to resonate with people, um, especially you know folks that are just getting started out or are showing as non-pros. It's really solid advice, like consistency in the show pen, hard work, sweat, late nights, early mornings. That's the you know the recipe for success in a lot of things. So I appreciate you keeping it real. I guess just on that note, then um, outside of those those things is there a piece of advice you can offer to a non-pro that wants to get started on the show circuit? They, maybe they have their horse, they're ready to go, but they haven't shown yet. And that's daunting. You know, going to your first show, that's, that's scary. Just there's so much to it. So what can you tell our listeners who might be ready to take that next step, but not totally sure how? Yeah, I'd say um,
0: maybe look at the results of the discipline that you're interested in. Look at the open And see if there's kind of a common thread of a trainer who shows up, who's there a lot. Um, If you truly don't know where to start and you don't have any connections, I mean, that's what I've done. I thought for a while I was going to have to make the move back to California. And so I was looking at show results in California and kind of seeing who is going to shows, who is relevant, who was in the area. And if you really truly don't have another outlet, I think that's a great way to start is look at the trainers who are competitive Um, and kind of just go down through there and see, you know, who's taking clients, make some phone calls, um, go to the shows and kind of ask around where we're not as scary as we might appear. (laughs) We might have very stone cold competitive faces on, but we really do love seeing people get involved in our sports, um, who want to come in, who maybe don't know where to start. We are willing to help if you are willing to ask. Um, I will say you might be dead in the water if you go there and try to pretend like, you know, everything already and you don't need any help because especially the cow horse. I mean, there's one event that it is a straight up team event. Like if you want to go work out of the herd, you need four people in there with you. Um, so go to the shows and make friends. Even if you don't have your horse yet, go to the shows, watch, check out who's winning, who has customers. Maybe there's somebody who's not showing a bunch, but they have customers. Um, and just kind of ask around because, the people who are good people will be pretty apparent and the people who maybe don't have a good reputation you'll you'll be able to tell this kind of asking around like hey i'm interested in this who do you recommend and ask a few people and don't feel like you're tied to the first person you go take a lesson from and don't be afraid to say you know this isn't really what i was looking for i really appreciate your help and and keep trying i mean don't you know be a barn bouncer who's somewhere for a few months and moves and moves but Go take lessons and learn what you do and don't like. Um, And then at the same time, when you start working with someone, they should approach you about what your goals are and what you're looking at financially. And if they aren't willing to have those tough conversations with you right off the bat, they might not have your best interests at heart because they need to know what you are wanting out of this and what you're able to afford out of this Because common theme is it's a very expensive sport and it's very time consuming. So if you're looking at not being able to have a horse in full-time training, taking lessons, maybe one show a month, you all need to be very upfront with each other about that because there would be nothing worse than a trainer who's expecting you to haul to every single major show and you having to hit the brakes and say, that's not at all what I wanted. So finding a trainer who's interested in your actual goals and your real financial feasibility because there are trainers who are going to work with you as long as you're upfront with them. If you say, I can afford one lesson a month and a horseshoe every three months, there are people who will work with you absolutely. Um, this is a matter
1: of kind of asking around and finding them. Such great advice. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. It's not often that we get a non-pro to come on and talk. And we're trying to find more non-pros that kind of have these great stories to tell and, and maybe even inspire somebody to get out of their comfort zone and, and go do something new like you have. Um again, thank you so much. Is there anywhere anybody can follow you on your ecoin adventures or or you know, any way to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, I don't know that
0: I have like a very personally exciting Instagram or Facebook. Um you can follow me there. Um, if you're interested in anything that has to do with cattle, I run all the social media for Five Rivers Cattle Feeding, and um, that's on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And then I manage social media for a few people. So um, Louthan Cow Horses, L-O-U-T-H-A-N, I run their social media. So he just had a really, really great staff a bit for He was in the open finals. So if you want someone who's social media, you know, who's running it. <laughs> I run that one, but yeah, absolutely. Feel free to follow me on, on my socials. Like I said, I don't think I personally am very excited because I pour a lot of my effort into the people whose social media I manage. Um, I'm sure you can both relate, but, um, yeah, feel free to follow along. Hopefully we'll have some derby stuff with my little baby horse, Dwight. So i got a new little bay gelding. I went from hot rambunctious sorrel mare with a boatload of power to a very chill bay gelding so we'll see how this goes. (laughs) Well, thank you again. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun talking to you guys. Thanks for being here, Kim. Once again, we'd like to thank Purina for sponsoring this episode.
1: Thank you guys for tuning into the ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse & Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at rider at network.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.